This is the Organizational Health Advantage Podcast with Keith Hadley and James Felton, Principal Consultants at Table Group. They're in the business of coaching leaders to build strategic focus and cultural alignment that leads to amazing results. This podcast is for leaders who are looking to increase productivity and morale while decreasing politics, confusion, and unwanted turnover. Welcome to the Org Health Advantage. Hello, and welcome back to the Org Health Advantage podcast. I'm fired up about our next guest, Peter Kim. Peter is the founder and CEO of Hudson Jeans, and they're absolutely my favorite pair of jeans to wear. He's also one of my favorite CEOs to have ever worked with. We'll get into his background and how he started Hudson Jeans. It's a really interesting story. Part of that story includes graduating from USC in 1994, starting Hudson Jeans in 2002, and hearing about his takeaways from working in his parents' business. These stories are amazing and really set the stage for building a successful denim company. He also talks about the work that he's doing now in creating a brand laboratory. Please note, Peter uses a lot of colorful language in this episode, so you might want to listen with headphones. Other than that, let's get going and welcome Peter Kim. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. It's great uh, to see you too. It's been uh, it's been some time, so I love. I was I was so happy to see your email, and then for the topic, I was like, "Oh, this is so cool!" Oh yeah. Well, I had to bring you on. You know, I think you're just such a unique leader, and uh, I enjoyed our time together. And I just I just love the passion you have around um, your companies and uh, your people and your your products and brands and uh, and just living life. So this is like I'm just so fired up for this. I don't know. I don't know if you know this, and I I I, I want to believe. I, I want to say I shared this with you before, but you had a profound impact on one of my belief systems and perspectives, and it was it's around change. Oh my gosh! And tell me. So we were having post all the work we were doing, we were having lunch, uh, a follow up lunch, and it was at the Mexican restaurant yeah. in Commerce by our office. Totally. Remember. And I was sitting there saying. I don't understand why people have such an issue with change and why can't they just get their shit together and like, you know, figure it out. I mean, everything changes, get used to it. Da, 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 da. And you, you had said to me at that point, you went, just take a step back and let's think of it from a different perspective. And, and you said basically in change in your head is obvious because things that you think about, you've had time to think about it, to understand it, process it. And it may have taken six months. It may have taken one day, but you've you've had your time to deal with it. And but then when you just plop it onto a group of people that have no idea, have had zero uh, um, experience or uh, knowledge of it, and then boom, you shot drop it on them. You have to, in fairness, give them the same amount, same time, or an, an opportunity to yeah, process, process it and then yeah. uh, deal with it. And there was a, uh, it's something that I think about actually constantly till this day since whatever that was five, six years ago, right? Because yeah. whenever I'm about to say something or whenever I have ideas, I actually try to kind of socialize it way in advance. Yeah. So as yeah. I'm having it, I like just kind of share that journey and experience with whoever they are to, so that they're, when I do drop it on whatever the big aha moment is, they're not going to be like, 
the fuck where's this guy coming from? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I I, yeah. I think I actually think about you quite often, even Thank though you. we haven't talked in a bit. But it was uh, I always I always say it's been a, that was a huge uh, shift in my perspective in how I saw because I used to get so frustrated with people. Yeah. I mean, I still do. A lot I used of to get so too. frustrated. With yeah. the concept of change, I'm like, why can't you get it? Why are you so afraid of change? Da, da, da. So it was. I thank you for that always. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, and and to give credit where credits due, um, that's from a guy named William Bridges, who has his whole basis of work is around change and transition, um, and really good stuff that we like at the table group. Um, I always think it's a little bit ironic that a guy who's done a lot of work on change and transition has the last name of Bridges. <laughs> oh, that's that's ironic <laughs> yeah it's really ironic but but thank you for that compliment uh, oh. i i always found you to be really open uh open-minded about things and and i think that's just a, an example of it where you have this deep conviction or this deep challenge of why people aren't able to change quickly it's like yeah let, let's talk about that you're like oh wow yeah open-minded and, and, and you're able to see how it could be different than what you're thinking. So mm. that was cool. I appreciate that. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to give a little context, um, you know, or, or get a little context and background from you. You know, I, I know you went to SC, um, USC in Southern California and, and graduated in 94. Where'd you grow up and, and why SC? So, um, uh, I actually, I'm, I'm, I'm actually from LA, like born and raised in LA. Okay. Um, and in fact, like literally, um, I'm, I live in basically the neighborhood that I grew up in and actually I'm, uh, I live in Los Feliz, yeah, yeah. which has become this really hip and cool area. Totally. Um, but I was born in 1970 at Hollywood Presbyterian, which is right down the street yep. here. And my family moved out here in 1977, and they still live in the same house that I grew up in. Oh my uh, God. And I live like literally 13 houses up the street from them. My first house, when I moved uh, moved out, it was four houses down the street. Oh my now God. I live 13 houses up the street. So it's been really bizarre to see, uh, um, you know, the whole neighborhood the way it is. But then I actually am. I, I've just been here for forever. What is yeah. this? Is like what? I've thirty three, no, forty three years now. Yeah, yeah. And which is, I guess, well, I so my best friend, um, he had said, or I think it was somebody had said something. He goes, "It's really weird that you stayed there for that long." Uh, and in my current house, I've been here for like fifteen years. On top of that, yeah. And his comment was speaking of change. He goes, "It's really bizarre and almost like." Uh, I, it's weird that um, you, you're, you've been living in the same place for that many years, just based the way I am, you know, because yeah, totally. people would imagine that I'm constantly moving and whatever. Yeah. So it is, uh, I, I, I never thought of it that way, but I guess I can see it a little weird. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and especially in Southern California where people are, you know, constantly, I shouldn't say constantly, but a lot of people like, you know, they, they, get appreciation in their house and then they move and upgrade and move yeah. and upgrade. It's such a status symbol. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Do that stuff. Um, and then why USC? So, uh, I actually first, first of all, I was not a good student, but I was, <laughs> how did you get into USC then? <laughs> Back then it was 
a very subpar school. Okay. <laughs> I've been very fortunate and blessed that I'm riding on today's reputation, the coattails of today's reputation and, and whatnot. But, uh, I mean, I was a horrible student. Um, uh, I, I had, I, I realized much later on in life that I'm self-diagnosed uh, and I'm actually funny enough, I'm actually yeah. going through the process now of getting tested and so forth. Dyslexia, auditory dyslexia, OCD, ADHD. Uh, like I have, and I started researching because I'm like, ooh, really? And I started researching this. I'm like, oh my God, I literally check off every one of these marks. And then yeah. reflecting back, I realized, oh, I, that would make sense because school was not a good thing for me. Uh, yeah. I did not do well. Um, uh, and you know, I my how my family life wasn't that great. It was really rough because my father's incredibly smart, um, and he would push me, and I just wouldn't understand stuff. Like you know, it, it was very difficult for me to comprehend and get my arms around certain things. He he was very harsh on me. Like he called me stupid and dumb a lot. Which you know, as a kid, um, especially with these kinds of I guess learning disabilities, if you will. Yeah. Um, it was rough. And then, and then to go to school and the first sign should have been, I had a very difficult time reading. Yeah. Like reading is very difficult. Reading out loud gets even crazier. Um, uh, like when I used to read to my kids earlier on, I'd read out loud. And at a certain point that you can see them looking at each other going, what is he reading? Because like, he's just like throwing in words, like like reading stuff that's not on the page. Right when they can start reading the same page, like that's not what that says. <laughs> Who's gonna tell them? <laughs> so uh, I mean, so I didn't do well in school. Uh, I ended up first going to SMU in oh, Dallas. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh. So in 1988, uh, you know, they were all concerned I'm not going to go to college. I didn't. I didn't qualify for any UCs. That's how bad yeah. it was. Yeah. Like m the minimum, you put the SAT in my grade point average, the minimum didn't, I didn't even qualify for the minimum, minimum. So I didn't apply any UCs yeah. and SMU was, I guess, my best choice because in 1988, they, they didn't have many Asians, Koreans there. So I think I made it in by like a quarter, like, oh my God, there's an Asian person that wants to come in and let's <laughs> take him. You know, who cares? He's a dumb fuck. You know, let's just take him. <laughs> It'll make the numbers look good. <laughs> yeah. But I can't so imagine I to, you liked it there. Oh, it was it was horrible. I mean, yeah. I don't regret going there because, you know, it was an active decision. I actually yeah. – it was a nice school, and it was away from everybody. Like, yeah. had a bunch of friends going east, had a bunch of friends staying west, and I get into these moments. I've realized that I need to run away, maybe just yeah. find myself. Yeah. So I went to Texas, um, and it was a horrible experience. It was really rough. Uh, and a lonely experience, um, yeah. uh, being out there in 88, coming from Los Angeles, being a Korean American kid, it was pretty rough. Uh, but so I couldn't wait to get back home. And that's how I ended up in SC. Cause I started applying to, um, all the UCs. They wouldn't take me cause I was still, I think they take you, take you after your junior year or after your sophomore year oh, yeah, yeah. and USC. I literally walked in during winter break, turned in my application. They said, you're accepted. And I went, okay, great. Went back, grabbed my stuff and came back and started mid-semester my, my sophomore year. <laughs> oh my gosh. That, the SC is not cheap. It wasn't cheap then. No, so. no, I mean, when I look, it wasn't cheap then, but when I look at the tuition back then compared oh, yeah. to today, it's oh, just yeah. like, whoa, what happened? Yeah. 
And so were you working your way through college? And, and if so, what were you doing? Or did your, uh, did your parents take care of that? My parents took care of it. I was, I was, you know, I was really fortunate and blessed by that because they were going through tough times at that time. Or that's when they first started to go through really difficult business financial times. And, yeah. you know, the shithead that I was, I didn't realize it. Yeah. Because if I knew, I would have probably done something different. Or yeah. maybe I would, or I could have been forced to do something. But um, I just ended up finishing out there because uh, I, I think I had like a year left or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well just a couple of takeaways, even from that story that I, I think we're going to come back to is you said you had to get away and find yourself. I think we'll get back to yeah. that. And, um, and then I, I uh, you said it was hard for you to be there. Like it was hard for an Asian Korean kid yeah. to be in Texas at that time. And I think that'll come back, you know, uh, you know, something we touch on later too, like just that maybe empathy that you have for people who are, who are struggling. Um, so graduate SC, you started Hudson. We'll get to it in a second. You started Hudson in 2002, but you graduated in 94 from SC. So what were you doing in between there? So I, um, my family started a, uh, um, I, I go, I always go way, go all the way back with my family history. Cause it's, I think it's a really f- interesting one, uh, but also a typical one. My, both my parents are from North Korea uh, okay. and they're born in 40 and 42. So as a youth, they were smack dab in the middle uh, as the whole conflict and yeah. uh, war start broke out. So yeah. they became refugees into the South. So they ran, you know, they fled. And, uh, you know, my father lost his father uh, at a very young age because they after they, you know, fled, they, they never saw him again. Yeah. Uh, I believe my mother lost family members as well. Uh, and so they're incredibly poor in Korea. Yeah. They uh, immigrated to Los Angeles in the 60s. Uh, incredibly poor, um, and they they had um, chasing the American dream, right? So they they busted their ass, worked super hard, um, saved their money. Um, uh, my father started working at a wig shop, was a salesperson there. Then he oh, saved wow. his money, bought the wig shop uh, back in like the seventies, early seventies. Oh my gosh! They saved their money. Then they started this Missy Moderate Career Polyester Blouse business, which was a very niche specific category but as the 70s and 80s come around with working women professional women dual income they were making all the blouses and the mass blouses for women under suits so they had oh, they yeah. became on top of the world right they had property we had we were vacation around the world i went to summer schools and in switzerland and all we were all oh over gosh. the place right i mean just lived the most incredible life um but I, and i think one of the interesting things though in that story is that although it was that amazing of us american dream kind of story I will, I don't, I do not have a happy memory as a child. And it's, you know, it's one of those things, speaking of empathy, um, you know, it's, it, we had, my parents had all the money in the world at that time. I mean, they were, it, when, if you, when I started doing the calculations of what they were worth then and bring it to today's dollars, I mean, it's ridiculous. It's, it's in the right. hundreds four or $500 million net net worth, the equivalent. Um, but, you know, 
we lived in a very hostile home. It was a, um, a toxic environment. My, my mother and father constantly fighting. Um, there was a lot of, um, uh, physical, verbal, physical, like all sorts of just, it was a toxic household, uh, led to a lot of unhappiness, you know, and for me, it was a lot of, it was, um, a lot of anger and bitterness and, and it, it led to a lot of insecurities. I had a lot, I was very, um, I had a lot of self, uh, value, worth, inadequacy because I just felt stupid all yeah. the time, you know, cause my yeah. father's like, you're a fucking idiot. What's wrong with you? School saying you're a fucking idiot. What's wrong with you? Yeah. You know, all this stuff didn't work out. So a long way for me to say when I, when I, my last semester at USC finishing my school, my father called me and said, you know, uh, you need to come into work. I'm like, I'm, I'm on vacation right now. <laughs> I'm on spring break. <laughs> and he, he's like, get your ass out here now. Like you have no idea what's wrong with you. Like you're such a shit. And, you know, I get to the, I'm like, all right. So my spring break was, um, uh, in 94, three, I start <clears throat> working, um, through my spring break. And I just, that was it. You know, I was going to school in the morning, go to the office and, and after school. And it was bad. It was like, cause what had happened was at one point, you know, they were on top of the world because they owned this, uh, um, um, professional workspace, uh, attire. And yeah. as the world started going to dress on Fridays, dress on every days, uh, you know, the business just like, pfft. so oh, wow. quickly they had a uh, product that was, um, ir- beca- quickly become irrelevant in the marketplace. Right. Um, they had an infrastructure that was um, not set up to to be able to adjust to the quick because they were riding high for so many years. You know, I yeah. think it was like maybe 15, 20 years where they were just on top of the world. And and then with that, they put all their money in the real estate business, which you think was phenomenal. But this is the 90s and they yep. had the yep. high leverage because my, I remember I still remember till this day, my father saying, why would we put that much down? I mean, these things, they're never going to go down. They're just going to keep right. appreciating. So right. we should put as little as we have to and just keep rolling, rolling, rolling. So you have the real estate market uh, um, crashing. Uh, my parents were completely checked out. You know, they were like, holy shit. You know, this is unbelievable what's happening right now. We should be retiring and transitioning our business to our kids. And now we may have to go get a job um, just to put food on the table. We had over $10 million in debt in 1994. Oh, my gosh. And and then to cap it all out, the cherry on top of this whole thing, that my parents personally guaranteed a family member's Kawasaki dealership. They go bankrupt. And dump the whole thing on my parents. So I step into this thing as a 23 year old kid who, you know, and I always kid around about this and, and, but it's, I'm dead serious. You know, all the negative stereotypes of millennials and Gen Z of being, you know, uh, no work ethic, lazy, like all that shit. I always say, and I'm first to admit, like, I was a pioneer of that stuff. I was like <laughs> an early adopter of just being the most spoiled shithead of a kid. And now to be thrown into this kind of environment, I it was, it was, that was a rough wake up and, you know, talk about baptism by fire. Yeah. Like they yeah. threw me out to the deep end. And, you know, I think at that point they just, they didn't know what else to do. 
Yeah. They were still checked out. That's like, fuck it. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And oh, yeah. like, you do it. You do yeah. it. You do it. And I'm like, do what? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know what the fuck yeah. I'm doing. Like, I don't know. And, and, but we we're able to, uh, and you know, it was, it was that time I had a very, um, one of those defining moment moments for me. It was like, every day was incredibly bad. Like there was no, it was as if you were going through a, a washing machine and you just couldn't, there was no light. There was no, Oh, I think we found a path. It was every day. You just couldn't think it could get any worse. And the next day you're just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. How could this possibly be? Yeah. And, um, you know, I would, I, you know, I was so, and again, I came out of it being like a shithead, very, um, spoiled, but also had a lot of issues, personal issues. Like, you know, I had no confidence. I was always scared. I was afraid of everything. Um, very insecure. Um, every day I'd be like, this is unfair. This is bullshit. I don't deserve this. This sucks. Um, and every day, probably for a good year, 18 months as I'm just working up the ranks as I've, you know, I, when I first started, I was in the warehouse. Like I literally would do, did everything in the business uh, yeah. warehouse, clean the bathrooms, filed. I was running. Uh, I was a runner for a long time. Uh, assistant to production. Assist. I used to cut out little pictures back in the days before, like Photoshop was a thing. Like in the design department. Um, and even then, you know, I being the shithead that I was, I tell my mom like, "This is bullshit. I need better work. I need more. I need more like satisfying work." As I'm filing stuff, right? And she's like, you're such an idiot. You, you know, there's so much you could be learning. I'm like, what can I be learning? I'm filing paperwork here. Like, this is dumb. He's like, well, you know, you're, there's so much information on this, not to waste your time, but just be mindful of, you know, looking yeah. at what's happening. Like, look what's just, don't just mindlessly do shit. So I was like, oh, okay, that's kind of interesting. So, so I started, you know, incorporating that kind of stuff. Um, and then finally, you know, um, I was, it was one of those days, left the office. It was a horrible day. And, and I just thought maybe I should just quit. Maybe I should just leave. Maybe I should just go get a job. You know, I have a college degree. I can speak English. You know, maybe I'll just get it. I don't know. I don't know what I'll do. I'll sell cars, whatever. It yeah. got, it's got to be better than this. Yeah. And and I took a step back and I realized, well, you know what? If you look at my parents, they came here with nothing and built all this shit. And just because there's some problems doesn't mean that it's not possible. They've overcome way more than you're dealing with right now. And then you take a bigger step back, and I was like, God, if you look at the Korean American um, culture here, community, same story, right? They, and and yeah. then if you take even a further step back, this whole country in a very short period of time has become what it is, and the same story. So, you know, it made me take a big step back, self-reflect, and say, what's the problem? And and I thought, you know what, this is a huge issue. It's not small. Men, and, you know, in the 90s, many people were going bankrupt, Chapter 11, Chapter 7, yeah. dumping their shit, yeah. selling whatever they could, hiding stuff and coming back around. And I'm like, you know what, no one's – it, it became very clear that no matter um, what happens right now, no one's going to blame me for this. Like, I'm not going to look like a fool that, you know, dropped the ball. Right. I mean, people that have much more experience and way older than me, they've done way worse. So I can't – I had nothing to lose, but I thought, wow, but if I can fix this, then I'd be a hero. And like, that's, you know, that's awesome. Like that's something that I could try to do. And, and that was like one realization of perspective. And then the second one was, 
you know, I just thought my father, one of the things he taught me as crazy as he is, there's a couple of really important things I think he's instilled in me. One was always chase after, be passionate, chase a dream, have big dreams and go after that. And it's not the money. It's a dream. Like just believe in something and believe in something big, as big as you can think it, that's what you should go after. Uh, and then the other one was with that is like, it's, it's all or nothing. It's like, it's all in you. You, you have to always with your back on the cliff, you have only one way out forward or you die. And, and I was like, okay. So it, it really hit me at that, at that moment where I'm like, you know what, no matter what happens, go all the way in. Like, you know what? There is no exit. There is no way out. There is, there's only one way and that's forward. And even if you die, go down swinging and rip their ears off and bite their nose off their face. Cause you may be dead and that guy might have killed you, but at least forever he's going to walk around and they're going to say, Oh, Peter bit his fucking nose off. And that's why it looks like that. <laughs> so it was like, you know, wow. I was like, Oh, wow. That's, you know, and, and, and I thought, that's it. So I came back the next day and everything changed. You know, it's like the most amazing thing. You know, the, the, one of the things I think about a lot is um, uh, the movie Dead Poet Society. Yeah. And, uh, you Love know, when, when he gets up on top of the table and he says, look, and it was the whole point was a perspective. Yeah. And how important perspective is. And, and it's, I think I was able to firsthand experience it at that moment because when I get, came back into the office, Nothing changed really. I mean, it was right. literally overnight. Everything right. was still, it's still the same fucked up mess. But, uh, but for me, everything changed, right? Yeah. Everything looked different. It was a challenge. It was fun. It was a game. It was like, how can I fix this? And, you know, at that point, just start slowly fixing things. And it's, I think, where I found a passion for apparel and uh, yep. retail and fashion, which is, I believe, I believe, and where my passion sits with with clothing is, I think it's one of the most powerful tools human beings have, uh, period. And because I think it's what we do, the first thing we really do to communicate and to express to the outside world, but more importantly to to yourself on who you are. Yeah. Right? It's like it's what we use as a visible tool to say I am this or I am not that or I'm about this thing or that thing. And I think you know. There's so much power in that. At you know, I was like, I love the um, the uh, missing modern pals thing. I love the business side of it. Um, uh, and what I ended up doing was, I guess, to give you the solution is we came back and had a real simple strategy. It was three parts: fix the product, make it more uh, relevant today. Oh, or wow. actually, the first thing was stabilize the debt. Uh, so I sat down with every one of our creditors and I guess did a form of our own bankruptcy restructuring where we didn't do a bankruptcy, but I sat down with every one of them and said, look, I'm, we got problems, right? We got problems. That's obvious, but I have a plan. I just need you to be a little patient with me and just push this off a little bit and don't do anything crazy. Cause if you do, I'm, I'm not, not paying you because I don't, I don't want to, I am not paying you cause I don't have the money and, and I'm not hiding money either. It's all right. here. Like we right. personally guarantee this whole thing. It's like it's all there, and so it was amazing. Everybody cooperated. Everybody was supportive, uh, which you know leads me to one of these fundamental things that I believe. And I think as long as you're not a complete shithead of a person and an asshole, I think most people do want to be supportive. Right? Yeah. I think most people will try to help 
and support you as long as again you're not just one of those dicks that people are like oh, i can't wait till this guy goes down because right. he's such a prick so everybody had us uh, cooperated and you know supported us uh part two was uh, um make the product relevant again so we made a career casual and then part three was really working on the infrastructure and the team and you know that's um so many lessons learned in that level of darkness and being so screwed up but um you know it's like the depth part was really amazing to see how many people just rallied around us oh that's so um, cool you know, to find new creativity and new ways to um uh, reinvent the product and the company and to see people rally around. and and i think maybe one of the most important things and how it's so relevant of, of the work that we did together I have always been fascinated with culture and psychology and 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 I think it was almost out of a necessity right because when I came in our staff was first and foremost like 99% Korean Koreans like English is a second language oh wow so so I had a hard time communicating with them let alone I, I didn't think they were qualified to do the job but I couldn't fire anybody either because my parents are like that's family. Those are old friends. These people have been here forever. You can't, right. you can't get. So right. I'm like, oh god, okay. So how do I get the most out of these people? And you know, I used, I always say that it was like the bad news bears. Like I took over the bad news bears, and I had to figure out how to get them to really play at the highest level, myself included. Right? I had to figure out how we as a collective group can overcome this. And I think I thought one thing first and foremost was. Nobody's going to want to work. Well, there's a huge difference between having you have to do something versus I want to do something. Right, for right? sure. And nobody is going to want to work hard so that I can make more money, so that I could have nice things and right. have a nice house and a nice car and so forth. Right? Nobody wants that's not inspiring. Right. But people will want that's a have to. They have to do stuff because if they don't, I'm going to fire them or whatever else. But if we can create a cause and an idea that's greater than just myself, that's an organization that it's going to impact everybody, that everybody can be proud of, that is worth that people will fight for and even die for. So I think that was probably the early stages of just really understanding and pushing culture because I had to figure out how to get these guys motivated. Yeah. And and at the same time, you know, it's just stuff that I believed in. Anyways, yeah. yeah. So yeah. you know, we slowly just started to inch our way out of there, and finally, by 2000, uh, 1999, we became profitable. The oh thing was back on swing, uh, going in the right direction. Um, you know, and again, at that point, I loved the apparel space. Women's blouses wasn't my thing, so I started a young men's streetwear company called Drunken Monkey with my best friend, uh, and then we took that was in 2000. Um, had my early first run of premium denim in 2000 as well with this co company called Jane's Army. Um, that had a explode. It was right at the beginning of the premium denim uh, um, explosion. And we started the company, but then we completely uh, messed it up. Like it was just horrible quality, consistency, and so forth. So then shut that down. But then at that point, that's when I realized I love denim uh, and specifically premium denim. Like yeah. the premium denim was uh, really hit resonated with me because you know denim its history is workwear blue collar like you know just yeah. you're not sure. in the top of the social economic 
you know, groups if you're wearing yeah. denim back in the days. And today, at that point, it was now premium and it was high fashion. And I was like, oh my God, this is the most amazing product to yeah. represent. Basically, I guess my whole ethos in life is just fuck you to society. You know, I, you know, I, and I think for me, all of that was really, I think, born off of, I was written off so early so by everybody. And, you know, at that point, I think what happened with me was I just had a decision. I could either buy into all this shit and be what they expected me to be, or, you know, just give my finger to everybody and say, fuck you, 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 I'm going to do whatever I want to do and live my life the way I want to live it. And you're not, you're not, you don't like me anyway. So why should I even give a shit yeah. about what you think about me? Yeah. Or only later to find out that most everybody didn't even know what the fuck they're talking about, let alone anything else. So, you know, I guess oh, really so true. For me. So true. So, um, well, well, you know, if I could jump in there, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. at that time, I, I had no idea about your family and no idea about the time between SC and, and starting Hudson. And, you know, the, the, the takeaways, there's so many takeaways in that story, but one, I think it's like, even though you hated that at the beginning, going to work for your, your parents and the mess that they were in and you having to like work in that situation, clearly it taught you so much, you know, from, from like not only uh, apparel, but like how to run a business and how to build relationships, you know, even with vendors and people on the outside. Um, and two, I've always known you uh, to be somebody who was risk tolerant. You know, that's even underselling it. Like you don't mind risk. You're going to take risk. In fact, you, you know, we were talking about it a little bit with your your kids and um, and that had to have been adopted not only through your parents, but like also being so far in debt to then within five years turning it profitable you're like oh yeah that wasn't so bad like we could yeah. <laughs> we could come out of anything at that point you know and uh such good such good stories there thank you for sharing that that was awesome it, it is um the risk i have a i think i found that i have a very different perspective and definition of risk yeah, um, give it to me. What most people think is risky, I think, what most people think is safe, I think is the most riskiest thing. Right. You know, and I and I look at what the the how they got to that point. I'm like, you realize that that's the riskiest thing. You're <laughs> doing nothing is the is the riskiest thing right. possible, or staying the the course, or doing what you know. To me, I'm I'm always like that sounds like the riskiest thing ever. Well, let's talk about that um, because, you know, first of all, I still, you know, when we when we did the work together, I went out and bought some Hudson jeans. <laughs> I still have them and they're still my favorite pairs. And that, bar none, those are my favorite pairs of jeans. And I think I have like five different colors and, you know, so I love <laughs> awesome. them. Um, and... Uh, and so talk to me about that philosophy. Like what worked really well for you in building that brand? And I know, by the way, I know there are some some designs that I just, no, I, I can't wear those. Those are not <laughs> for me. And, and, you know, and and I live in Scottsdale and I would see some of those at the Nordstrom in Scottsdale and go like, those aren't selling here. There's no way those are selling here. But they were clearly selling elsewhere, you know? And so... Um, talk to me about that because I know we've had discussions around some of that. Uh, 
that ideology. I think if I look back, you know, I I think the the foundation of our success was we just had a a great group of people that believed in what we were doing and they were the ones, you know, they they just all made it happen. You know, I, I looked at my job as like, okay, what is this idea that we're rallying around? And, you know, for Hudson, it was really about how do we make people look and feel good, not just physically, you know, because denim is, it makes you look really good and so forth and can make your physical body look right. But, uh, you know, how can we make people look and feel good emotionally and spiritually, like the whole package, not just the physical perspective and aspect of it. So, uh, you know, that's, that was what we're trying to do with the company and, and the foundation and the, the root of all this is, you know, we, we did it together, right? How do we, to help inspire the power of self, right? Help like empower people right. to understand that it's right. you, like it's, it's, it's about you and don't listen to society right. don't listen to the rules don't listen to your parents don't listen to the elders and everything else it's like it's it's just the culture of the company was really the most important thing so we always promoted like let's take chances right let's let's not do the same thing over and over let's you know i i, I always thought make mistakes you know if you're if you if you don't make mistakes i would tell people you're not doing your job because i've also learned that for the most part, there aren't. There's no one mistake that can typically bury a company, right? I mean, it, it, there's not one mistake that the collective group decided on, right? That's gonna just like that's it. The whole thing went to shit. So, um, you know, and so I always, to me, it was all about the team, right? Well, that's what one of the things that always stood out to me. Well, there's a few things that stand out to me about you, but. Um, one of them was the vulnerability that you had. Like, I don't know all the answers, but this is what I want, you know? And if you can get us to that place, like I want to create cool stuff, but we're going to have to make change. We're going to have to make mistakes in getting there, you know? And I want stuff that's not cookie cutter. I don't want stuff that looks like this brand or this brand or this brand. I want our own idea, but I don't have all the answers. I'm going to need your help. And, uh, I always, I always thought that was so cool about you. Just the the openness and the vulnerability that you showed as a leader, that was always cool. The vulnerability thing to me, I think, is a it's a big one because, you know, I'm a big believer in empathy and vulnerability, and I think those two things are probably one of the two biggest factors in helping humanity get to a better place. Well, and I think what you're saying too here is. Uh, what you were realizing with your team is, hey, I'm going to be vulnerable to them. I'm going to be honest about my my shortcomings, my weaknesses, because they're going to know eventually what they are. Yeah. And if I don't <laughs> acknowledge them, they're going to be like, this guy doesn't know shit about himself. How would he know how to run this company? Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. It's oh, so I true. It is yeah. so true. It's yeah. You can either talk about it in your face or they're going to talk about it behind your back. Absolutely. <laughs> like, Absolutely. I'd rather let's deal with it. <laughs> oh man. So many stories that I can share with you about clients I've worked with and stuff like that. Um, but uh, so you're not with Hudson. So give the context first of like what happened just briefly. We don't have to go too deep into it, but then like what was your learning and your takeaway as you have now started a new company? 
So from 2002, starting the company and then getting it to where it was in 2013, um, in that 11 year run, um, I think, I think objectively I can say we, we built, uh, one of the top premium denim companies at that time globally. And in all senses, from a financial perspective, we, we had numbers that were just off the charts. From a performance standpoint, we were, uh, we were trading places one, two, three as far as uh, retail performance at, uh, uh, sales performance at retail. Uh, from an image perspective, we were known as like the, the wild cards, the creative, the, the crazy ones that like you just never knew what to expect. But we had a very, um, one of the proudest things that, uh, I, feel about is when we were going through uh, the first um, bucket of issues uh, with the first, the second transaction, we sold the company in 2013, right? At this peak state. Yeah. And, and, you know, at that moment, you know, people would always ask like, what's next for Hudson? What's next? What's next? You're going to do uh, retail. You're going to start full collection. You're going to do this. You're gonna... Like, nope. You know, the big initiative for us right now is, we have something to, we are a lot more than a pair of jeans. It got heavily like uh, sidetracked because we ended up selling to a competitor, Joe's Jeans, and top, went from being a culture generalization to no culture at all. And this created like a lot of problems. So we went from on top of the world to just, just tanked in two years. Um, Finally, we got control of the company back again and then, you know, brought it back out in 2000. We took control in end of 2015, 2016, back on track to pick up where we left off and things are going smooth. And then ultimately, I get kicked out of the company for just having a difference of opinion uh, where um, the future of the company should be, which, you know, I, I don't want to say I told them so because it's really not it's not. I, you know, it's not like I've had a crystal ball. It's right. like, this is obvious. I mean, look at where, look at where it's, it's like, it's like they were pissed off that I said the sun rises from the east and sets in the west. I'm like, I don't know what you want me to tell you, but <laughs> that's just the way it goes. And if you look at what's happening in the retail space, that's what's happening. I'm not, I'm just reporting. I do have a plan and strategy of how to navigate through this. And we got, you know, I got kicked out of the company and it was very difficult. So, you know, through all of this, I don't know if I have there's I'm sure there's a ton of tactical things I could have done differently. Um, but at the same time, I made decisions, you know, I made choices and I don't know if I can say that I really regret my choices. Um, I, I'll share a personal story that just happened. And yeah. this is a regret, yeah. which, um, you know, during this time we've been in quarantine for what, four months now, but in January, February, you know, we knew what was about to come. Right. Like, you know, we're, I, I, we're looking at, the, I'm looking at the work going, oh my God, holy shit, this is, this is not going to be good. It's, it it's is. coming. Yeah. It's just like, shh, it's coming. Yeah. It's like, and I'm like, God, I should, the stock market is going to tank. You know, stock market is going to tank for sure. Um, I mean, why this is, it's an obvious. And I just kind of watched it and I didn't make any changes in my life, in my, you know, personal financial. And then come March, boom. And personally, you know, I'll openly share, I lost, uh, I lost with the market. I lost so much money in the stock market. And because of uh, margin calls and so forth, I actually realized these losses. 
Right. Right. And now they're real. Like, it's not like, oh, don't worry. People are like, oh, don't worry about it. It's going to come back. I'm like, I know it's going to come back, but not for me because I had to actually realize it because I had margin calls and all right. this other stuff. Right. And, like, and, and even that, my biggest regret in that is I didn't choose to do nothing. I let nothing happen to me. Right. It's it, if, if I said, OK, I know or I made my own theories or something, say, I'm going to stay. I'm going to stay where I'm, I'm at. Right. Then I could accept that because I actively, mindfully chose to take that decision. Or if I did something or whatever, if I chose something and it completely fell apart, I'm OK with that. And I share that story because throughout my career, I chose to do a lot of things and some of them were great and some of them were not. And towards the latter half, selling the company, um, allowing the you know, allowing the new partners to give them the deals that I gave them, um, you know, structuring my stuff the way I did. This it didn't. It, I chose it. You know, I I I actively said, okay, I know the risk, I know the pros cons, and I'm like, okay, I'm, I'll go down this path anyway. So, um, I, it's hard for me to say, you know, do things because again, I know there's a tremendous amount of tactical things and decisions I could have, should have done very differently. But I also believe like even getting kicked out of the company, I'm very, it was, it was incredibly hard for me at the time. I had a lot of uh, uh, emotional and personal issues with that. But at the same time, I'm really grateful for it because I'm not the kind of guy to walk out of something. You know, I would have till this day, I bet if they didn't kick me out, I'd still be sitting over there trying to man a broken, uh, a ship that's been completely, you know, fucked up. It's, hard, it's always hard for me to answer that question. Um, um, you know, what would I do different? Um, but it, it, it sounds like, I mean, to me, it sounds like you're somebody who likes to make decisions, like to have a plan. And like, when you do that, you feel good about it. And you're, you, you know, you're a little bit of a risk taker. And you realize, like, all right, this might be a little bit of a risk, but at least I'm taking action. Yes. And and as long as you do, you don't regret what happens because right. you would rather do that than sit back passively and have things happen to you. So so now um, you're doing this kind of brand incubation, this brand lab, yeah. you call it. Yeah. And you, you've got one that you think is, like, really promising. And so let's touch on that. I want to hear all about that one. So the whole Golden Circle group is goes back to, uh, we call it a combination of building uh, companies the right way, yeah. as well as uh, unfinished business from Hudson. You know, um, I was talking to, I forget who it was. Oh, some one of our guys in marketing, he goes, you know, it didn't work out uh, at Hudson with all the stuff that we tried to do. And like, you know what, let me correct you on that. Um, and I'm not, I don't think I'm being sensitive about this. Right. I think we didn't get a chance to finish what we yeah. started. Yeah. And I was like, cause what we were doing was phenomenal. It's just, we got cut short before we can actually see the, end. and it was stuff like, I mean, we were, we were, we were so ahead of times of no more Photoshopping, you know, being honest with our marketing, you know, uh, um, truth in advertising. And you um, were creating, like, I think you really cared about the culture, not only within the brand, but within the customer as well. Like you yeah. wanted to bring them yes. in. You were talking about that holistic culture piece um, and building that like fanatical base. Yeah. 
like yeah. rabid fans before I think so many so many companies were. No. And, and, I, and to me, you and, have to take a stance, right? Yeah. You absolutely. have to take a position. You have to be hated, right? You, there's got to be a population of the group that just hates your guts yeah. to be able to find the others because it means that you've you. made a statement. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, the culture part of it is really uh, the most important part. Yeah. And, and so you're, you're uh, the Golden Circle Group is developing brands. So developing brands, I guess, in, in the right, what we'll call the right way. And my belief is in today, in the year 2020, we yeah. don't need another anything. <laughs> Right. We don't need another business. We don't need another clothing company. We don't need another shoe company, car company. Like we don't need anything else. We have all the re- we have everything we need. We have all the resources to really fix human suffering. We have everything. We don't do right. any of that, but that's a whole different story. But I do think we need more things, businesses, ideas, people to help shift perspective. And you know, to me, I'm like, let's. We need to start creating real value. And my belief is. Value comes from having a soul, like having yeah. a purpose, having, yeah. you know, things that are w- w- of true value, right? Like uh, money to me, it's great and it's a phenomenal tool and it does a lot, gives you a lot of options, but it's, it's, there's, there's no real value to it, right? Except for right. what we human beings have assigned it. Right. You know, value is in, to me, it's like love, camaraderie, community, you know, togetherness, you know, it's like, uh, being able to support each other through worse things. And, and, you know, to me, that's real value that, you know, yeah. believing in something so much that you're willing to die for it, you know, that's valuable. That's, you know, so like, how do we create that? And it goes back to, I think, let's just start with, because, you know, people are like, Oh, is it a nonprofit? No, it's not a nonprofit. I, I mean, I love money. <laughs> it's like, right. Cause I, I have like the financial guys, they used to tell me this all the time. They're like, you know, we got to make money, right? And, and I always look at them going, like, do I need to tell you to breathe or go to sleep or wake up? Or, you know, it's like, what? of course we got to make money. That's so funny. When we're talking, like, in my work, when we're talking with some clients, um, sometimes they'll say, like, well, well, where in this clarity, you know, where in our kind of DNA do we put we need to make money? Like, where, where do we put the <laughs> profits? And I'm like, if you have to put it somewhere that you need to focus on profits, then you've got the wrong people working here. What we're trying to do is like identify how you're different than all your competitors. I guarantee you're all your competitors try to make money. So why do we need to call that out? Like, you're how right, are we right. going to be different? How are we going to have this company that like people want to be fanatical about that people want to like totally embrace and love and, and be a part of, you know, and, build a community around. And it's like, you know, like we talk about Southwest Airlines, like you get on that plane and you know they're different than American Airlines. Yeah. You know, and so yeah. l- what is that DNA behind Southwest? Or And that's what I always loved about you was like you cared about that DNA and it sounds like you cared about it more than the people who bought Hudson, you know, for sure. Yeah. Joe's and the company that, that pushed you out. It's like, you cared about the DNA of the company and you knew that you caring about it and your people caring about it meant your customers would care about it too. Yeah. Cause it just oozes out into everything. Right? Yeah. Like I always say, if you have phenomenal culture, how do you have shit product? It's, it's very, yeah. very hard yeah. 
to create shit product if you have uh, an incredibly passionate culture yeah. uh, and people that are just in it. You know, it's like, because they care so much. Yeah. They care so much that it's hard to produce shit. Yeah, totally. Our whole, uh, uh, plat- it's a platform, a brand building platform where uh, we try to create the best in class creative design, product development, production, because our team has a vast ex- uh, um, a network of contacts, resources, and also a lot of know-how on being able to run this process at top levels. So um, right now we have one co- concept right now, uh, Cloak which is a, a brand partnership with two really large uh, YouTube influencers, uh, okay. Mark Deplier and Jack Septicai. So, you know, it, it collectively coming to evolve outside of just uh, influencers and celebrities doing merch. Right, right, right. To a real brand yeah. uh, uh, and a little more of an idea. And that's going incredibly well. Uh, this is our first year and even through this quarantine times, you know, it's again, these guys are super passionate, have a great message of inclusion and, and, and you know, the weirdness and the, uh, being kind of uh, off a little bit, but all great. We, yeah. you know, we celebrate the, the, the off uh, center and, exactly. and the weird, you know, the uh, quirkinesses and so forth. Uh, so that's one, uh, another one that we're actually, uh, so that's the one company that's, we had five as we we're filtering through the vision and so forth. Um, it came down to this one right now that we're really building and leaning into. And then interestingly enough, through this quarantine process, uh, business has been phenomenal, um, which I think goes back to when you can create a um, the brand, the soul, and it's communicated through its community and you have passionate fans who believe in this and have this whole thing going up and down, you know, the whole organization the business just shows itself. So it's, you know, we're probably, we've revised our projections for the year up like 40% um, because we're already up 40% from where we were for the first half. And so that's been phenomenal. And then through that process, just uh, we've been incredibly busy. Uh, One thing we're working on is talking with the Bruce Lee family, you know, and doing a partnership with those guys, which is like a passion of mine. Like, Oh my God, this could be, you know, one of the coolest things we ever do. Another project we have going on is with um, one of the most uh, well-known tattoo artists um, in the world. So we're doing a, a partnership with him. Um, and um, uh, and then just a bunch of other little projects that we have going on. So we're finding a lot of people are coming to us to try to um, create partnerships. And how do how do they how can we help them, um, you know, build companies uh from our perspective and our lens. And I think what, what we're finding is, you know, a, a friend of mine, he had said this to me uh, a while back and, um, you know, it was really uh, eye opening for me because he goes, you check off three boxes, the three important pieces. And I went, what are the three? <laughs> yeah. And he goes, he goes, uh, number one, you've done this before. Like you're not some young, you know, kid who's got this idea, this grand idea. And, you know, you, you've, you don't have any pra- tr- pr- track record. Like he's like, you have a proven track record of building things from scratch, operating and building them to scale. They're not like these little tiny things that you've done. Right. It was number two, you've evolved. Like you, you went from missing modern blouses to streetwear to premium denim, and so you're always and 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 I guess objectively these categories, like especially streetwear, where it was to premium them, we were innovators of at that time. We we're pioneers of how what the movement was. And even within Hudson, we were doing so many things that were 
uh, ahead totally. of the industry. Yeah. And then the third one, he goes, and the third one is you are you have you are culture and purpose driven first and foremost, and you always have been. Yep. It's like this isn't something that it's like a big. Thing, a trend right now and now you're jumping on this how can we get to the millennials and how do we create how do we connect with this like that's it's not that it's you've always been and every one of your organizations have been like that so you're you're positioned well for what's coming and i went oh wow, i never thought of it like that and then when i thought even deeper about it my team it so this applies he's saying this to me i'm like oh that's super cool i appreciate it but when i think about the rest of my team they're all in the same boat Right, yeah. they all they all check the same three boxes. Totally. And and I was like, oh wow, it's not just me; it's the whole organization checks yeah. these boxes, and that's what makes it super cool. Where and I think that's how we get to see a lot of different um, niche, nuance, like super cool um, niche brands and businesses and people and concepts and ideas that come to us because they realize that we can help, but we're also not, you know, the money grubbing you know, soulless financial guys. Well, I love, I mean, I just love that you're doing this, uh, this lab, this brand lab. And, uh, you know, it looks like you've got one cloak that's going to really knock it out of the park. And I love your, you know, we've, we've talked a lot uh, on this podcast, but in the past too, around like purpose and culture. And yeah. the fact that, you know, I'm such a big believer in that. I see it work with so many of my clients. And I just know you're going to knock it out of the park with more and more brands when you focus on that. So yeah. more kudos. You know, the, the golden circle is, is actually, so, you know, the full story is a rip off of Simon Sinek. Oh, really? Golden circle. Yeah. Oh, okay. You know how his, his why, how, what, yeah. and he, I'm a big fan of it. I a believer in it. And as we are trying to pull out, put, find a name for it, uh, somebody said, "Why don't you just call it the Golden Circle?" I'm like, "Oh wow, that's kind of cool." <laughs> I didn't, I didn't, I don't even know if it's gonna, if it's gonna stick, if it, if we can yeah. get it, but yeah. And so, I mean, that's the story behind this of how much we believe in, oh, you that's know, so cool. Our why, yeah. So, yeah, nice. Well, it's like our core purpose. By the way, I caught that you uh, pulled out the core purpose from Hudson. Not pulled out. You just knew it <laughs> off the top of your head to inspire <laughs> the power itself. That that yeah. we uh, identified when we were working together yeah. of that. Um, okay. So a couple last questions. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite leadership book that you share with others? And uh, do you have a favorite leadership quote? You know, you're going to find this is going to be funny, but I actually reference the five dysfunctions of a team quite often. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Till this day, you, you would be, you, it, it, we still reference, I still reference it till this day. As we started like our, our new management, I literally was, Nicole still with me, right? Yeah. I'm like, Nicole, find out, all, all, like get out, pick up all the past, uh, uh, the formats and all that stuff from those days. Uh, you know, I, I get the books for everybody. So that is still probably one of my favorite uh, and most um, relevant books because, and I was literally sharing this with my, what we do now is since we've been in quarantine, we have a daily 8.30 standing call with the whole company. So everybody just Zoom, gets on yep. Zoom. Yep. And and we've been doing it since first day, day one of quarantine. And uh, like last month, I, um, I, last month, I referenced the work that we have done and the five dysfunctions quite often because I'm like, it's incredible that it's just like you read the book and you're like, how the hell do they know 
<laughs> have they been watching? Like, are they like spying on us? And I, I shared the story. Like I've recommended this to other people and everybody says the exact same thing, which kind of makes me feel a little bit better that we're not the only dysfunctional group, but also it's interesting to see of, uh, um, you know, how still how important and relevant the, the concepts and the fundamentals of the book are. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the trust being, all, we talk about this all the time. Yeah. All the time. Like, look, I, I tell them like you have, we have to be able to talk about this shit and have the tough conversations because yeah. they're not really that tough. If you, yeah. uh, if you go back to why we're having these conversations. So yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. I'm still a big fan and, and I still use it quite very often till this day. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you so much. That's, that's great. Uh, you know, the last podcast I did, uh, with the women's volleyball coach at Stanford. He's uh, they're two time back to back defending champions. And, um, and he, he referenced one book and then he said, all right, I don't want to seem like I'm pandering, but every one of my teams reads five dysfunctions of a team as well. And uh, so that's so cool. Thank you. Um, And then how about a favorite leadership quote? You know, I'm going to, I, I have, I'm a big quote guy. Like I, I, I always, yeah. I have a collection like, that's just pages of quotes. Nice. So one of my, yeah, I'm a, also a big Bruce Lee guy. So I'm not sure if it qualifies or if it's quite a leadership quote, but sure. you know, I'll read it. Cause I think it just has, a, it. has a lot of a uh, reference to me. Yeah. Uh, I do not believe in systems anymore. I mean, I do not believe that there is such a thing as like a Chinese way of fighting or a Japanese way of fighting or whatever way of fighting. Because if you do not, if you don't have styles, if you say, well, here I am, you know, as a human being, how can I express myself totally and completely? Now, that way you won't create a style because style is a crystallization. I mean, that way it's a process of continuing growth. Oh, wow. I like that. And I guess the other big quote from him is honestly expressing yourself. Well, that that wow. definitely speaks to you for sure. <laughs> well, yeah, I absolutely. That. I mean, if 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 that doesn't come through this podcast, then you know, I don't know if anything else will. Uh-huh. Yeah, you for sure are one of those people who honestly is, expresses himself. Um, that's awesome. Hey, uh, Peter, I have really really enjoyed this. And uh, thank you so much for your time. You're so generous with your time on this. And uh, I just love hearing, um, you know, uh, about your past. That was news to me. And uh, also the, the, the cool stuff you're doing now with the Golden Circle Group. So thank you, man. You know, it's, um, it's one of the things that um, I'm super excited, but I'm also incredibly scared. <laughs> it's one of the most frightening things. And I guess that's what makes it, kind of it makes it fun yeah. that you get to live on both ends of the spectrum of one side of my oh my god this is unbelievable it's so cool so awesome and on the other end of the spectrum like oh my god this is inc- this is insane what the fuck are we thinking what are we doing we're not gonna make it yeah and just constantly living in those two places has been an incredible experience but um thank you as well you know i really enjoyed I love catching up with you always. So this is awesome. And um, thank you for having me here. Thanks for listening to the Org Health Advantage. 
Your hosts, Keith and James, are helping leaders change the world of work and invite you to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. For more resources on building stronger teams and organizational health, check out tablegroup.com. Produced by Audavita Studios. Connect your voice to the world.